I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiber Fueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant You, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing, we're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Yeah, it's really scary what's going on with children's health right now. In the past 30 years, we've seen obesity and overweight skyrocket in our in our youngest demographic. So we're talking about kids under the age of five. We've seen a 60% increase in obesity in this age group with about 14% of preschoolers now um, being classified as obese. And as we all know, uh, overweight and obesity in early childhood leads to an increased risk of those same conditions in adulthood, which then leads to an increased risk of other chronic diseases like heart disease and cancer and diabetes. Season three of the Plant Strong podcast explores those Galileo moments where you seek to understand the real truth around your health and dare to see the world through a different lens. This season, we honor those courageous seekers who are paving the way for you and me. So grab your telescope, point it towards your future, and let's get Plant Strong together. Welcome to the Plant Strong Podcast. I'm Rip Esselstyn, your host, and I hope that you all had a fabulous Mother's Day. I spoke with my fabulous mother, Anne, a few hours ago, and oh, she's just so amazing. And throughout my life, she has empowered me to chase after my dreams and to not let anybody try and steal those from me. And I so, so appreciate her and, um, and her attitude about life in general. In our house today, we had a wonderful day celebrating my wife, Jill, who really keeps our family ship heading in, uh, in the right direction. And I hope that you all were able to celebrate the women in your lives who make such a daily positive impact as well. This week, I want to keep the celebration going with two of the up-and-coming Brock stars, 
the plant-based juniors Whitney English and Alex Caspero. Together, these two have created a robust community and a haven of support for raising healthy, plant-strong babies and toddlers. In fact, their new book, The Plant-Based Baby and Toddlers, is coming out May 18th, and you can pre-order today. This book is the topic of the majority of our discussion today, and I was I was really bowled over by their knowledge, the seminal research they have in this book, and their enthusiasm for providing such accurate and evidence-based information, because as you all know, there is just so much misinformation out there. So we cut through much of the noise today. A little bit about Alex and Whitney. They're both registered dietitians, certified personal trainers, and moms to toddlers. So they are, of course, very personally invested in the health of not just your children, but theirs as well. Now, even if you're not a parent, I would encourage you to share this episode with those who are. They're a wonderful source for encouragement and affirmation that shines a light on the fact that raising plant-based babies and toddlers is not only safe, but it's also health-promoting. We cover a really wide variety of issues that new parents face, especially the many fears and misconceptions of raising plant-strong babies. We also talk about how to have productive conversations with your children and with the naysayers who express their concerns about your parenting choices. We dive into soy, gluten, the whole grain paradox, say what? And making sure your child gets plenty of vitamin P. What in the world is vitamin P? You'll find out right now. So let's get after it. Please welcome Alex and Whitney, the plant-based juniors. Okay, here we are, the Plant Strong Podcast. I am here with Alexandra Caspero. Am I pronouncing that correct? That's it, yeah. Alexandra Caspero and Whitney English. And uh, you guys, you guys have really done something remarkable. And um, you're so Plant Strong Podcast worthy. Um, (laughs) You guys have a another baby that's coming out in a couple weeks. Uh, it's something you've been working on, I'm sure for at least two years, I would imagine. Yes, yes. And you guys have so much to be proud of. And I want to talk about it. And we're talking about a book that these two just wrote It's called the plant-based baby and toddler. I feel like I should, this, this shirt should say baby kale, not kale, <laughs> much, much more appropriate. Um, Kale smoothie, uh, kale smoothie pops. Kale smoothie pops. I love it. Talk about ways to get it in for the kids. You guys are incredible. I can't believe that you guys, well, your mothers, I mean, you know, it's funny as I get older, like I look at you guys and you look so incredibly young and vibrant and, and, and just all the vitality. Um, If you don't mind me asking, how old are you guys? We're I'm 36. I will, I will be in like four days. Okay. And okay. I'll be 36 about a month later. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Great, great ages. And so obviously if you guys wrote a book about baby babies and toddlers, you probably have them yourself. 
Yeah, we, we're living it right now. Uh, my son is going to be three this month and my daughter Ella is six months. So she just started eating three days ago. Yeah. So we are, we are knee deep in starting solids right now and baby led weaning. And then Alex's kids are about the same age. I'll yeah. My, her. my son is a three and a half and my daughter is one. Wow. You guys. Okay. That's almost identical. Um, so why don't we start? I'd love to hear about both of your journeys uh, mm-hmm. to kind of a plant-based diet. Um, and let me just start with, um, with Alex. So you used to date a protein obsessed <laughs> meathead. So how I in the did. world, how I in the did. world? <laughs> a long, long time ago. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So how did you get to where you are today? And who is this wonderful husband that maybe isn't so much of a meathead? Yeah, well, it's it's a funny story because I say this a lot and people are like, how does this even make sense? But it was just this catalyst of... I was dating this, this bodybuilder, very, very obsessed with protein. I mean, he used to wake up in the middle of the night and eat like cans of tuna I and mean, just gross. Uh, but anyways, we, we broke up like many college relationships do. And it was sort of this, like, you know, I was never a big meat fan. Uh, I was studying nutrition at the time. So I was learning a lot more, of course, with the benefits of plant-based diets. And we had this breakup and I was just like, you know what? I am grossed out by the idea of meat. And that was in 2006 and I haven't eaten it since. So, uh, I thank him wherever he is, is now, uh, for, for that relationship, because that is obviously paved a, a much healthier path for me. And ironically, my husband, uh, his parents are old dairy farmers. So when they met me, it was like, who is this girl? Like, you know, what are you talking about? She doesn't eat all these things. And then, uh, you know, we've been together now for, I think like 14 or 15 years. Uh, and he slowly is, is a, a plant predominant eater. So it's, it's really sort of come full circle that not only did I have that catalyst with my old boyfriend, but now I have really sort of changed not only him, but his family is, is way more into this. Uh, they were just visiting last weekend and I bought probably like 20 different plant-based ice creams and had them do like a taste test. And we, you know, did all these, these, you know, enjoying these, these treats that were completely free of dairy. And they all were like, wow, these are so good. And just, so it's, it's just nice to, to show people that, you know, even just traditionally didn't eat this way, uh, how, how delicious these foods can be. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and Whitney, I mean, you took a graduate nutrition program with the infamous Dr. Valto Longo, Uh, was that, was that the thing that really like pushed you over the edge? Yeah, it was. So, um, I got my start in entertainment journalism. I moved out to Los Angeles right after college to work at E news and spent uh, a good part of my early career interviewing celebrities about everything from the baby food diet, um, to (laughs) eating massive amounts of animal protein to, to look good for movie roles. And it was really, is the baby food diet for babies or for everybody? No, that's for adults. (laughs) There are some adults. Adults that are eating baby food. <laughs> it's, okay. it's crazy. Yeah. So it was all of these myths in Hollywood about nutrition that really um, triggered both my personal interest in nutrition and fitness. And then also my, my impulse as a truth seeking reporter to get down to the bottom of all of this. And I, and I realized that if I really wanted to um, understand nutrition, be able to translate it uh, appropriately, then I needed to go back to school and become an expert myself. And so I left the world of entertainment and went back to get a master's degree in nutrition, health span, and longevity at the University of Southern California. 
And even when I started the program, I was still kind of a protein obsessed fitness junkie. I used to eat six egg whites a day for breakfast. Religiously. Yeah. (laughs) For many years, you know, I was afraid of fat. I thought I needed massive amounts of animal protein. And it was when I took a course in Italy halfway through my program with Dr. Walter Longo, when my eyes were open to the benefits of a plant-based diet in a short, I think it was a, an abbreviated course in a short month long period. I went from this person who was eating chicken breast, egg whites every single day to completely cutting, um, animal protein out of my, out of my diet and, and jumping on the, on the plant-based bandwagon after learning about the massive amounts of research, supporting the chronic disease prevention benefits, longevity benefits. And I was pretty shocked actually that this was not mainstream information. And that even in my dietetic program, it was only about a year in when I really understood the breadth of the research and, and was able to apply it in my own life. But yeah, I can't say enough great things about Walter. He, he's my guru. He changed yeah. my life. Yeah. <laughs> so how did, how did you two come together to write the book? How long have you guys known each other? Yeah. So Whitney and I have known each other for about a decade now. Uh, we met at a blogging conference and just sort of stayed friends, kept in touch. And we, we both have sons around the same age. So we were both pregnant following this diet. And, you know, we were just kind of reaching out to each other and saying things like, Hey, have you, have you read about this study? Or what do you think about this? Or I'm having trouble finding answers. What do you think? And we just felt like, Oh my gosh, we're having all of these questions around these topics. We feel like there's not a lot of evidence-based places to, to go for them. You know, I, I love my midwives and my pediatrician, but they weren't resources in, in plant-based nutrition. And we just felt like we've, we've got to do this. You know, we've got to come together and sort of put our, put our knowledge out there and help other parents who are in a similar boat. Yeah. At the time that I was pregnant and Alex had um, her, I think he was like three months at the time when we started talking over DMS on, on Instagram, there was not one nutrition book catering to this demographic that was written in the past decade by a registered dietitian guiding people on a plant-based pregnancy or raising young children from that really critical zero to two age group. Um, and we were just, we were just shocked because we, we knew of all of the um, dietitians out there that were, that were doing this. It's a smaller tight knit community, but this information wasn't really mainstream. You know, the, the people that you were really hearing about um, on social media um, or that were blogging were a lot of mommy bloggers that were doing this with their families, uh, but nothing that really had that evidence-based information and all in one place to really reach a, a more mainstream audience. And so we felt like if we were having such a hard time answering some of these, some of these questions and finding like a go-to one-stop shop. Imagine what a, a lay person, a common mom out there, who's got enough on her hands with a new baby, not definitely doesn't have enough time to dig into the literature to get answers. Yeah. Well, to me that I like to say that we are, this is a plant strong era that we're in right now yes. and everything is moving towards more plants for every reason imaginable, right? Uh, The environment, sustainability, animal compassion, our personal health, all that stuff. And you're right. I mean, I think that you guys have written really the the definitive guidebook for the next, you know, generation or two of, of, uh, of, of mothers with babies that want to make sure that 
they're doing the right thing with their babies, mm-hmm. a plant-based diet. And just by kind of following your step-by-step, you know, kind of guidebook that you've outlined, you, the, these mothers and fathers can rest assured that their children are going to getting are going to get everything they need. And it's all centered around a predominantly plant-based diet, as you guys have outlined. So tell me this before we, I, I dive into some specific questions. Um, would one of you give us a kind of a broad 10,000 foot view of what's going on right now with children's health in general? And why is this so important and so timely? Yeah, it's really scary what's going on with children's health right now. In the past 30 years, we've seen obesity and overweight skyrocket in our in our youngest demographic. So we're talking about kids under the age of five. We've seen a 60% increase in obesity in this age group with about 14% of preschoolers now um, being classified as obese. And as we all know, uh, overweight and obesity in early childhood leads to an increased risk of those same conditions in adulthood, which then leads to to an increased risk of other chronic diseases like heart disease and cancer and diabetes. Um, Speaking of diabetes, we're also seeing an increase in these lifestyle conditions in young children, which we previously believed um, were were only happening later in life, you know, were lifestyle conditions. Um, But we're seeing diabetes, for example, has had a a 30% increase in the past 20 years. And now children as young as 10 years old are being diagnosed with this, this um, really, really detrimental disease. And it just says that there's something really, really wrong with the standard American diet, with the way that most people are feeding their children. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's, it's funny sometimes, you know, we always get questioned on like, how can you feed your kids this way? Or, you know, why are you doing this? And we're just like, wait, why are we playing defense? You know, it's not like the, the standard American diet or the way that kids are being raised right now is this benchmark for health. You know, there are, there are so many issues with just these high amounts of processed foods. And of course, getting so much protein and fat from animal-based foods and, and really not eating enough of the plant foods. So, you know, we feel like there's, it's not like we're, we're comparing sort of apples to oranges. And, and we know just a plethora of, of research that's really around a plant-centered diet or a strict plant-based diet. So uh, we feel very confident in our, in our approach here, um, but we just sometimes think it's funny that we have to sort of be defensive about our choices when the alternative isn't really great. Yeah. Well, and, and, and talking about that, um, the, the research for a plant-based diet for children has been vetted and endorsed by some very prominent organizations. Do you guys want to talk about a few of those? Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of the, the overarching thing, right? Is that all, all of the major nutrition organizations. So whether we're talking about the American Academy of Pediatrics, whether we're talking about the, um, uh, why am I blanking on Canadian Pediatric Society? Yeah, the American Nutrition Dietetics Association. I mean, there's so many uh, governing bodies that say that an appropriately planned uh, plant-based diet or vegetarian diet, a vegan diet is not only safe, not only appropriate, but it's also likely health promoting. And that's true for all areas of life cycle, right? So whether we're talking about pregnancy, whether we're talking about lactation, whether we're talking about infancy, early childhood, obviously into adulthood, but it really is every single person, as long as it's appropriately planned, and that's true for all diets, uh, these are, these are safe. And like I said, likely health promoting. Yeah. What would you guys, and you address this in the book and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of lob ball it out there to you guys. <laughs> what are some of the, the major fears and misconceptions that a lot of parents have right now around a plant-based diet? 
Oh, just yeah, so I, many. I know. Uh, I, I think the biggest why, ones why is would, yeah, yeah. So why would why would veganism or plant based be dangerous for children? For yeah, yeah. I I think a lot of people feel like if they take away certain foods or food groups, that they're going to be missing something. And so you know, I I truly believe that all parents want what's best for their children. And a lot of times the information that they're given is, is really misinformed. So for example, you know, they think that like, oh, chicken is a good source of protein. So I'm going to give it to my child because I know that he needs protein or, you know, hot dogs are a good source of proteins. That's a sort of a healthy food. And, and, you know, we, we know these things aren't necessarily true, but I think sometimes we, we see things in these like macronutrients. So if we feel like, oh, if they're not going to get hot dogs and chicken nuggets, where are they going to get their protein? from. And obviously when we explain, you know, the, the abundance of protein in a plant-based diet, it sort of helps to, to remedy that, you know, cow's milk is the same way. When you take away the cow's milk, so many of us are conditioned, uh, because of all the dairy campaigns, especially in the eighties and nineties that, you know, milk is calcium. And when we take away milk, people think, well, how is my child going to get calcium? He needs calcium. Of course he needs calcium, you know, we, we, but we can also get these, get these nutrients and other, in other plant-based foods. And so we like to say that we fight all of this fear with facts, you know, right. when we come armed to the table and say, Hey, here's what the research says. I understand, you know, I'm a parent too. I obviously don't want to do any harm to my children. I want to make sure what I'm doing is, is best for them. And so if we come into the table and sort of say like, here's everything that we know about nutrition, here's what we know what the research says that I think that's really empowering for parents to say, okay, now I feel confident talking to my in-laws or pediatrician or partner or whoever they need to, to sort of help, help assuage some of these common myths. Yeah. There's just so many sources of misinformation these days, whether we're talking about um, uncredentialed so-called experts on social media, um, or whether we're talking about the mainstream media, even kids own pediatricians. And then also to add to all of this noise, really the food boards. One thing that we're seeing a lot right now is, um, for example, Big Beef has a campaign right now to educate parents and professionals on the importance of beef as a first food for babies. And they really use this fear to play upon parents' concerns by saying that kids aren't going to get enough protein without beef. Kids are not going to get enough iron without beef. And, and they fall back on, um, on their research, or at least <laughs> the part of the research that they are going to present, the cherry-picked research. Um, for example, the USDA re recently released for the first time ever their dietary guidelines for Americans covering that zero to two age range. Um, and and came, the beef industry came out stating that even the USDA recommends beef as a first food. But if you really dig into the literature and look at these guidelines, they aren't specifically saying that beef is an ideal or necessary first food. They list it among first foods that are rich in iron, but they also list iron fortified cereal. They also say that any source of iron in the diet, as long as it's in an appropriate amount, can provide, um, can easily meet children's iron needs and raise blood serum levels of iron. They specifically state that there's no added benefit to serving beef over other sources of iron. Yeah. So speaking of iron, I think it was you, uh, Alex, that you went in to see your pediatrician uh, with your eight month old, I think it was your son. Is that right? 
or was it Whitney? It, it was Whitney's son. But I mean, it's it's yeah. it's a common thought, you know. No, it's- yeah, and, and basically, you know, uh, you know, from what I read, you know, you were like, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> it's low in iron, and your pediatrician kind of looked at you and gave you kind of like, you know, you know, the raised eyebrow, like, yeah, it's because you're eating this way, right? And then he, yeah, she was just pitching me one fastball after another, <laughs> saying why my son's iron was was probably low and how it was due to my plant based diet. Well, and then what were his recommendations? Yeah, so his recommendations. The first thing he said, well, was can you add some animal foods? Can you at least give him an egg? And luckily, I had done my homework, and I said, yeah, an egg is in. I guess, okay source of iron. It has one milligram. Kids need 11 milligrams per day at that age. Um, but the, the problem with that, which obviously she, or he didn't know as a, as without having a nutritional background was that eggs also contain a compound called phosphatin, which inhibits iron absorption and can even inhibit iron absorption from other foods in the meal. Um, he also said, you better go get your iron levels checked because you're probably anemic as well. Now that, that one really just floored me because I think one of the most basic things that anyone who does children's nutrition knows is that breast milk is a very, very poor source of iron. It has like 0.03 milligrams per liter. It's a it's a tiny, tiny amount. And that's really because babies build up iron stores in utero and they have enough to last them the first six months of life. And then from six months on, that's when we want them getting iron in their diet. So it was kind of just one fallacy after another. And it made me um, not only angry, but a little concerned. <laughs> like if you're getting all these things wrong, I might need to find another pediatrician. <laughs> and, and have you? I haven't because he's great on so many other accounts actually we're moving to. So that's going to solve itself, but I hope he doesn't read my book because I really don't (laughs) want him to know that I called him out. (laughs) Tell me about the, the PB three plate and, and give me examples. I think that's really adorable. The PB three. Yeah. So it's our, it's our, it's our meal planning guide, right? We, we want to make this as easy for parents as possible. Like Whitney and I said, we're both busy moms. You know, we don't have a lot of time to, to do all of this fancy meal prep and, and trying to figure things out and what foods my kid needs when. So we wanted to make this really fun sort of visual that you could hang on your fridge. Uh, in the back of the book, we have a, a page that you can literally tear out and hang somewhere. So you just sort of have this, this nice visual and essentially it's divided into three categories. So it has legumes, nuts and seeds, grains and starches, and then fruits and vegetables. And again, obviously, because plant foods are such rich sources of so many macronutrients, we're not calling out specifics. So we're not saying, you know, here's a protein group because beans contain protein and they also contain carbohydrates. So instead we're telling you sort of where to find these foods in the diet. And if you do that, then the macronutrients really take care of themselves. We also have specific call outs for certain nutrients that are really important for especially sort of this uh, older infant, younger toddler uh, area. So we have a specific call out for iron. Uh, We have a call out for fat. So especially compared to to older adult recommendations, uh, kids need a lot of fat, about 35 to 40% calories from fat. Uh, Plant foods are so wonderful because they're naturally lower in fat or many of them are, but just really emphasizing to parents that we want to ensure that our kids are getting enough of their calories from fat for optimal growth. And then uh, what, what ages is that? Is that like, what would you say? That 35 to 40% is to about age two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then after or, that, it, drop, it drops one to down. Three, to one to three, one to three, actually. 
and then it drops down to about 30%. So we still, we still want to focus on it, but it's not as critical uh, as it is in those, those early years. And then we talk about certain nutrients. Sorry. I can talk about the PB3 plate all day. No, 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 no. <laughs> so like, give me an example, like what, and you guys have this in the book, what is the macronutrient breakdown of mother's breast milk? Is when it comes to fat, protein, and carbs. Yeah. So breast milk's got about 40 to 50% um, of calories coming from fat. And that's one, one good thing then for parents that are like, oh no, how am I going to get all this fat in my, in my kid's diet? Well, at least in the first two years or so, when you're providing breast milk or formula or some plant-based milk alternative, they'll be getting a very large portion of, of their fat from specifically those beverages. In addition to the foods you're providing in the diet, um, protein, I, what is the percentage? I think it's about two grams of protein. Per it's like 4.55%. It's pretty low. Yeah. It's, it's, it's two grams per four, about four ounces of, of breast milk, I believe, which is a lot lower actually than cow's milk and a lot lower than actually the, um, plant-based milk alternatives that we recommend for older kids, which is pea and soy and right. soy milk. Right. Uh, yeah. It's interesting that, um, that, not that a lot of these milk alternatives aren't, weren't developed to mimic breast milk more careful, more closely. They're more developed to mimic cow's milk because cow's milk is the standard beverage of choice for, for most children to yeah. do yeah, we, numerous we, factors, which we also get into in the book. We have an yeah. entire section on how we came to be drinking, how children really came to be recommended and drinking multiple glasses of, of cow's milk a day. Yeah. Three, three glasses a day. Right. Yeah. I think some pediatricians are recommending less now as more and more research comes out, tying high milk intake with things like obesity. Um, people are starting to modify their recommendations, but it is still at least two, two glasses a day. And, and iron, I mean, iron deficiency anemia is the most common deficiency when we're talking about kids and that's, that's regardless of diet. But <clears throat> cow's milk is usually the biggest driver of that because cow's milk competes for absorption with iron. And if we're constantly giving our kids, you know, two, three cups of cow's milk per day, which is what the dairy board recommends, then you're likely going to end up with an anemic child who's going to have a lot of other, you know, health conditions down the road. So we, we definitely recommend uh, choosing more plant-based options for those beverages, but also regardless of what you're doing, uh, limiting it to about two cups max per day. Yeah. Hello, I'm Sophie Asselton, and my dad is Rip. We'll be right back with Alex and Whitney, but right now I want to share a few fun updates with you. First, Plant Strong is just about ready to unveil some incredible new food products available exclusively on their website at plantstrongfoods.com. If you'd like to be the first to know when they are available, head to the site and subscribe for early access and exclusive discounts. In a couple of weeks, they'll have some big announcements to share and many more months ahead. In other news, our Spring Harvest Plant Strong Culinary Experiences will begin to ship next week from our friends at the Chef's Garden. My dad flew to Cleveland a, a few months ago to visit my grandmother, Anne, and together they spent a day with Chef Jamie to learn to cook a whole new four-course meal, according to my dad, 
and was such a fun addition to the film shoot. As you know, she is full of curiosity and enthusiasm for everything. And they had a blast learning about Mr. Fry's rhubarb and spring pea tendrils and ice spinach. To learn more, visit plantstrong.com garden and reserve your box today. They'll pick up and pack your order and we will send you a library of vis- videos to enjoy as you make this fun meal together. Finally, I want to mention my dad's Plant Strong 14-day free meal planner trial that has been wildly popular, especially with busy families with young children. If you haven't heard, the Plant Strong meal planner is a powerful tool. It makes it easy to plan, shop, and prepare Plant Strong meals that are delicious and family-friendly. Try it yourself. Use the code STARTFRESH at mealplanner.plantstrong.com. Take the next two weeks and cook up storm for your family. Now, let's get back to these two. The biggest thing that we want to focus on is setting parents up and therefore children up for success. You know, we've all heard these stories about uh, perhaps kids who are on certain diets and they don't do as well. And and the plant-based diet always gets blamed. And a lot of that sometimes is the parents being misinformed on what they need to be providing. And so, you know, we, we really are such a, such big fans of, of certain fortified foods. We talk a lot about supplements because they're really important. You know, we want to say, Hey, we think a, a plant-based or predominantly plant-based approach is the best for, for everyone. It's the best for human health. It's the best for planetary health. I mean, we're both young moms and are appalled by the, the world that our children are being left. And so this, this way of eating is really important to us for, for so many factors. And we want to see more people doing this and more people doing it well, because the best way that I can convince everyone else to sort of get on board is to show thriving children. And so if we're having them, you know, eat these foods and and offer in these fortified options and be like so successful and so healthy and thriving on this diet, that's the best way to say to all the naysayers, like, Hey, look, like not only can our children, not only are they, are they healthy, but they're really thriving. And so that's why we we focus so much on the nutrition, but are also so open to the fortified foods because we know, like Whitney said, some, some nutrients can be harder and we don't want to dismiss that, uh, you know, just because we want to be promoting a certain way of eating. Yeah. Well, listen, I, <clears throat> I've got three kids myself, a seven-year-old, a 12-year-old <laughs> as of like four days ago, Okay. also a 13-year-old. And I got to tell you, I mean, they've never had a piece of meat their whole life. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously they've had dairy inadvertently when they've been at a birthday party and had, you sure. know, yeah. or ice cream or something like that. But otherwise these guys are as, as plant strong. Uh, and they were, you know, pe- they were true plant-based babies and toddlers, and they are just thriving at, at the top of their game. And it's love beautiful. It. That so, is amazing. We love hearing that. But I, but I wish that my wife and I would have had your book because it would have been so helpful. Everything that you have, the 50 different recipe meal ideas um, at the back are just fabulous. Let's, Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, Alex and I always like to say it's, it's not nutrition unless it's eaten. So we really tried to make this book um, a, a guide, not just filling the nutrition information on you, but teaching you how to implement it in an easy, practical way for busy parents. Yeah. 
I'm going to throw some questions at you guys uh, that you guys talk about in, in the book, because I think these are questions that if I was a parent, I would want to know a little bit about this. Yeah. So first thing is talk about the whole grain paradox. Mm. The whole grain paradox. Because if I'm, if I'm a whole food plant-based dude like I am, I want my kids eating all the <laughs> grains. I don't want them eating processed refined grains. But you guys got something else to say about that. Yeah. So, so the whole grain paradox is, is kind of similar how it sounds. And this is really for, for young kids. So we're really talking until the age of about two. And that's the idea that um, a lot of kids do not get enough fiber, but plant-based kids get a lot. And sometimes too much fiber can be harmful, especially when we're talking about, you know, again, smaller bodies. So maybe there's issues with digestion. Maybe there's issues with nutrient absorption from too much fiber, uh, getting full too quickly. You know, sometimes that can be a, again, that's a really good thing when it comes to weight management in adults, but for a little body who we want to ensure that we're getting enough calories in, filling up too much on fiber rich foods can, can be a detriment. So uh, we say for, for that age group, so for about two and younger, if you notice this, doesn't necessarily that you have to offer all these refined grains, but if you notice that your, your child is not eating as much, or perhaps is filling up too much on, on certain items, then we say it is totally okay to offer about half refined grains and half uh, whole grains to ensure that your child is getting the, the other nutrition that they need. Because again, if they're filling up, then they're going to be displacing other opportunities to be eating more nutrient rich items. And that's where the paradox is. You know, we want adults and older kids eating as many whole grains as possible. We know that's the key to preventing chronic disease. Um, but with our little babies, it's a little different and kind of rethinking the way you think about refined grains as well. What is in a refined grain? We've got calories, we've got protein, which some people are surprised to find out that a piece of white bread and a piece of whole wheat bread have the same amount of protein. They both got about four grams of protein. And if we're talking about an enriched refined grain, then they're going to have some of those minerals and vitamins added back in. So while that's not the ideal option for an older kid or an adult, that could provide some really vital nutrients to a baby that maybe is not thriving as much because they were getting constipated or they were filling up quickly. Yeah. And that can, again, like Alex said, be tailored. So um, sometimes we have families that before the age of one will do the 50, 50%, but then they notice that their kid is just putting things down like a champ. And so from one to two, they switch over completely to whole grain. So it really needs to be individualized, like a lot of things in nutrition. Well, you guys do a fabulous job talking about, you know, how many calories should our children be getting? What are the macronutrients, you know, protein, carbohydrates, and fat, and what should those look like? Breaking down out the micronutrients and all the vitamins and the minerals and stuff like that. But I want to ask you about one vitamin in particular that you talk about, uh, and that's vitamin P. What is vitamin P? And how, does, how do our children get vitamin P? Vitamin P is just so, so vital in the diet, and yet no one, not very many people have heard about it. P is for pleasure. Food is supposed to be fun, um, both for your child and and for you. You know, food is a is a bonding experience for many families. It's something that if you can instill a love of food and an enjoyment around the table at an early age, that's going to set your child up for lifelong positive eating habits. So we talk about vitamin P mainly when we're talking about 
um, offering foods that aren't always the most nutrient dense. And this conversation is, is geared more towards older kids. So, um, the first, I think like five chapters of our book are really dedicated to about two. And then the last chapter of our book is talking about looking forward. You know, Alex always says, I wish we could raise our kids in a bubble where they're never exposed to these harmful processed foods or animal products. And we can feed them exactly what they want and they'll love it. But in reality, um, you know, kids are going to be exposed to um, corn dogs and pizza and cupcakes and the laundry list of, of, of foods that, that normal, <laughs> not normal, but um, uh the mainstream children eat this, this sad diet. And so we take an approach to that called structure versus restriction. And this is where the vitamin P kind of comes in. We want kids to be able to partake in some of these less nutritious items in a structured way so that we don't develop this, um, this, uh, restriction issue where they're putting these less nutritious foods on a pedestal and it's creating negative eating, eating patterns. Makes yeah. com complete sense. We, we go into a huge deep dive into, into all of this in the book, but you know, as much as we want our kids to be raised on a healthy diet, we also want them to have a healthy relationship with food. And, you know, we feel like both of those are sort of lifelong habits that we can start to instill in early childhood. Yeah. Uh, let me throw out some other questions for you. How do you feel about juice uh, uh, for <sighs> kids? And, and, and I, I see your reaction, but I, I just want you to know that you know, I've written several books and in my third book, which is called the engine Two seven day rescue diet. We're not a fan of smoothies of juices or any of that stuff for a number of reasons. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about juicing for kids. Yeah, we, we try to reduce or, or a limit or avoid juice for, for as much as possible, right? So we, we recognize that juice uh, does contain, if it's a whole 100% uh, juice. We recognize that it does contain vitamins. It does contain antioxidants. It just also doesn't contain any fiber. And again, we're talking about trying to like maximize nutrition uh, with our kids. We just feel like juice is one of those sort of like sometimes foods, you know, like if we're out somewhere and they're offering juice, let's say at a birthday party, like, great, I'll let my son have some apple juice, no big deal. But it's not a, a, a food I choose to serve at home because it really doesn't have uh, as, as much as nutrition as I could get from, let's say, having a whole apple or serving those foods with all of those other, you know, nutrients involved. Food is so synergistic with sort of the way that nature packages it. And we strip it all down and just give the, the sugar, I mean, the, just give the juice, then we're, you know, we're, we're really not giving our children the, the opportunity to A, enjoy the texture and the natural flavor of foods. We feel like juice is sort of one of those foods that, uh, you know, it's, it's there, it's in a lot of kids diet, we prefer to limit or avoid it as much as possible. Yeah. 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 It's unnecessary. We treat it like we treat any other sweeter treat. Yeah. Yeah. So what about, uh, what about salt? What are your thoughts on salt for these toddlers? Yeah, so along the the lines of every major health organization, we recommend that salt is is limited or completely avoided for kids under two. So under the age of 12, 12 months, we want to avoid it as, as much as possible, which isn't always isn't always possible. You know, we're probably going to be offering our kids some things like like bread that you bought at the store that's got a little bit of sodium in it or 
um, other products here and there, but as much as possible, we want to, we want to limit it. There isn't a lot of firm evidence, um, on the harms of sodium for kids. If you actually dig into the research, there's a lot of things that you hear, like their kidneys aren't, aren't mature enough to process it. Um, or that it, it's, it's linked to chronic disease issues. And while the evidence isn't super strong there, what we do know is that a high sodium intake in adulthood is, is definitely harmful, harmful to human health. And we can extrapolate that, that research and say that it's likely not beneficial for children either, especially in these young bodies. But to add to that, as Alex just mentioned, in this zero to two age, um, age range, this is when they're really developing their taste preferences for life. And if we're feeding them high sugar, high sodium foods, they are going to develop a preference for that. And that's going to set them up for, uh, a lifelong eating pattern that's really rich in these, in these nutrients that we're actually trying to, to limit or moderate. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great, uh, great point. I want to talk about two things that I would say Americans have a uh, huge irrational fear around <laughs> gluten and soy. Uh, what are your thoughts? Should my little one-year-old girl be consuming gluten and soy, and is that healthy for or one and a half years old? Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about soy first. You know, it's funny that I think there's such this this fear around it. Soy is actually very well studied. I think there's about two thousand uh, studies that come out each year on sto on soy. We've been digging into the research and, and possible benefits or not benefits of soy for for decades. So that's the good news, right? We have a plethora of studies to pull from. And when we take the 20,000 foot approach, the vast majority of soy studies not only show that it's safe, but potentially beneficial, especially for young kids, when, and especially for young girls. You know, sometimes the concern about soy is related to, to breast cancer risk. And, and what the research shows is actually that uh, kids who are exposed to, females who are exposed to soy in, in early life, even up through adolescence, actually have a lesser risk of breast cancer than those who are just eating soy into adulthood. So not only do we think soy is completely safe uh, for kids, but we definitely would recommend uh, a serving or two a day, especially for, for, for women or for young girls, because there is that, that linkage to uh, reduce cancer, breast cancer risk later in life. Yeah. And soy is probably one of the top foods that we get questions about from, from parents. Um, another study that I like to bring up from the journal of the American Medical Association, I think it was about 10 years ago, but they studied a cohort of, of adults or later in life who consumed soy as babies. Um, they followed up at about 25 to 30 years and found absolutely no reproductive or developmental differences. And so to go to Alex's point, again, there's just so, so much research. We have tons of children, uh, you know, in the U S and, and, and globally who have been raised on soy formula. So it's not like it's, it's this uh, understudied issue. There are many children who are consuming large amounts of soy early in life and we're not seeing harmful effects. So yeah. it's, it's a lot of myths. So when you guys say soy, I'd like for you guys to tell me what you mean. Cause I'm assuming you're not talking about process refined soy and soy protein isolates and concentrates. 
Yeah, we're, we're talking a lot mostly about traditional soy foods, right? So we're talking about things like like tofu, like tempeh, uh, soy milk. We is sort of like we said before, our recommended uh, plant-based beverage that we, we say for, for kids for, for these reasons and for the other things that soy does contain, right? So not only is soy a great source of, of protein and, and some healthy fat, but it also contains choline, uh, which can be more limiting in a plant-based diet. Uh, it's got fiber and we're talking about sort of the, the whole uh, soy plant. So there, there are lots of benefits for including soy. Uh, we, we don't promote as much as the, the sort of processed foods or the mock meats that, that use soy. Are they fine on occasion? Absolutely. Uh, but we don't want that to be the, the, the main focus of the diet. I do want to state though, that, um, a lot of soy naysayers and critics will always point out, oh yeah, well, soy is safe, but only the good soy, only the fermented soy, <laughs> you know, only the stuff that they eat in Asian cultures. And again, yes, we want to see you eating the most whole food sources of soy possible. But if we're talking about what the literature shows, there isn't any literature that shows that certain forms of soy are okay and certain aren't. Like soy is a safe food across the board, there isn't and, any research that shows that it's harmful. Yeah. And, and I was just going to point out a lot of the clinical research actually uses more of the, the processed soy or the supplements because it's easier in a, in a, you know, placebo controlled study, you, you can't give someone tofu and then say, oh, well, you don't know what group you're in. So sometimes they'll use those analogs uh, because it's easier to study. And so we have good research on those too, that those concerns about soy, um, you know, really, really necessarily aren't warranted. Yeah. yeah. So we're not encouraging you to eat those more processed forms of soy. We're just saying that even the so-called bad soy is good soy. <laughs> right, right. Right. There's no bad soy. It's okay. <laughs> what about gluten? Let's talk about gluten for a sec for our babies and toddlers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think with with the rise of you know the the paleo group, this sort of like anti-grain group, there's there's this myth that goes around that uh, babies' digestive systems are too immature to process gluten, and that is just not true. We know that because the enzyme, the digestive enzyme that's needed to break down grains, amylase, is present not only in babies' saliva, uh, but also further down the digestive tract. So that sort of you know evidence that not only are we able to to break these foods down, but we likely are, are designed to do that. Yeah. Whole grains contain so many nutrients, especially when we're talking about plant-based kids, right? We're trying to maximize nutrition. They contain iron, they contain zinc, they contain protein. You know, a lot of people forget that a cup of, you know, whole grain pasta contains eight grams of protein. If I'm a toddler that only needs, you know, 18, 19, maybe grams of protein a day, that's a really easy, highly palatable way to get that protein in. So uh, we don't think there's any need to uh, avoid gluten unless there is some type of medical issue. You know, obviously if if you're celiac or if your baby has sometimes some other autoimmune issues where a gluten-free diet is better for them, wonderful. You know, we want to support you in that way and make sure you're still offering those nutrients. But for the average child, uh, we don't see any evidence that a gluten-free diet is warranted. Right. I also want to point out that, um, and now I'm going to be talking about wheat versus gluten. Gluten is a protein component found in wheat, but wheat is one of the top eight, and now they've changed it to nine allergens. And what research is actually showing is that by introducing these common allergens early and often, as, as soon as baby starts eating around six months, you're going to lower your baby's risk of developing a food allergy later in life. So not only do we not want you avoiding gluten, we want you giving it soon to probably, to hopefully reduce your child's risk of allergy later in life. Isn't that, I find that so interesting. It's yes. just the opposite of what most people are implementing these days. 
Yes. Um, and it just goes to show you too, how nutrition research can change, you know, and you have to be open to listening to the evidence because just what, what, like 10 years ago, it was the opposite. Doctors were telling people to avoid these common allergens, to avoid peanuts until two, three years of, of life. Um, and now we've learned that the reverse is true. Well, one of the things that, that, one of the things that is remarkable to me is how many people these days seem to have some sort of an allergy, whether it's to, you know, corn, yeah. wheat, soy, nuts. When I was growing up, I don't think I knew one guy the girl line <laughs> who had, who had a uh, allergy to strawberries. He couldn't eat strawberries, right? Yeah. That was like it. <laughs> yeah, it's something like I think one in one in seven kids. Correct me if I'm wrong, Alex. Um, have, it's, have, it's somewhere around there. It, it's very high. The allergy rates are rising in in children, and yeah. and we really don't know why. But a lot of people believe that diet has something something to do with it. Yeah. Addition. So, yeah. So one of the things you guys, you guys do a great job to me in the book talking about having how to have conversations, mm -hmm. um, whether it's with grandparents that, are, that aren't on, on board with this, right? Whether it's with, you're, you live in a house divided yeah. with a parent that isn't on board with this, um, going to birthday parties, family dinners, restaurants. Um, I'd love for you guys to just maybe talk about one of those that maybe, you know, you're, you're feeling. That you yeah. Let's, let's talk about kids because I think sometimes, you know, we, we get a lot of questions on how do I talk to my children about, about how we eat? And, you know, I think sometimes very well-meaning parents think that our kids need to have all of these sort of nutrition facts, especially younger kids. And, and the reality is that kids don't necessarily need nutrition lessons, right? Like we can offer broccoli to our toddlers just because broccoli is a family food, not because they need to know that broccoli has all of these other nutrients for growth, because when we start setting these foods up, especially when we're talking about younger kids as like, this food does this, if you don't eat it, then this might happen, or you have to have this food for X. If the child doesn't like that food, or they don't want to eat that food, then sort of the internal dialogue can be like, oh, I'm not going to grow because I'm not having that food. Or mom's telling me this food is so good for my eyes and I don't like that food. So now, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot for, for young kids to handle. So we sort of say to take a, an opposite approach where, you know, talking about the characteristics of food. When I put broccoli on my son's plate, we talk about how crunchy it is and how green it is and like, oh, how silly is it that it looks like trees, you know, really making these foods fun and enjoyable and not having them on such these pedestals because the opposite thing also happens. When we start to push sort of the nutrition messaging for young kids, we tend to also push the, the sort of the anti-nutrient message. So for instance, things like Oh, if you eat that candy, um, that's not good for you. That has too much sugar. That's, that's going to be harmful. And, and again, kids don't need to know at this young age, what foods are quote unquote bad for them, because that's a lot harder for them to, to sort of disassociate between like, oh, this food is bad or am I bad for eating it? So we sort of have, you know, that the conversations to be really positive, almost neutral uh, around food. And, and the research shows this actually allows kids to feel like all foods are equal. So they're not having these, these thoughts of like, oh, I have to eat this broccoli because it's the bad food. Mom always pushes it on me and always tells me how much I have to eat it. But she always tells me that the cupcakes are horrible for me and I don't have to eat them. I and mean, that's just a lot of messages that, that young kids are, are, are hard. It's harder to wade through. So we just sort of say, take a step back, offer food the way it is. You know, we, we talk about how to do this in the book, but um, you sure messages, 
seem, seem okay, Re- but, but they can be harmful. Research really shows that pressure, whether it's negative or positive, always seems to backfire. So whether you're trying to pressure your kids to eat something or you're trying to pressure them to avoid something, in both cases, you're going to get the opposite result. So when parents try to restrict children who maybe they're worried are eating too much, are gaining too much weight, these kids end up eating more and gaining more weight. When parents start to get worried that a kid is underweight and start trying to force them to eat foods, they typically end up consuming less. So Alex and I, uh, we follow a model called the division of responsibility. And this outlines parents' roles in feeding and children's roles. And it really says that it's parents' job to choose the food that's going to be served when it's going to be served and where it's going to be served. And then it's the child's job to decide if they want to eat and if so, how much they want to eat. And by taking the pressure off the plate, kids usually are able to dictate their own hunger and fullness cues and end up having more positive eating habits and a a greater, a wider palate. You guys are brilliant. Um, That's uh, so I'm going to just give you, give some examples for the listeners that I took verbatim from the book. It's just so beautiful. So like, this is how most of us talk to our kids. <laughs> your broccoli, it's good for you. Whereas you guys say a better way of saying it is broccoli makes our body and brain strong. Love it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another one. Here's a plate of cookies. Don't eat too many. Right. <laughs> or here's a plate of cookies. Enjoy as many as you like. Uh, another that one. That one scares a lot of people too. <laughs> Yeah, I want to give an example for that, actually, is that, yeah, people say, well, if I give my kid the whole plate of cookies, they're going to eat the whole plate of cookies and and they're going to barf. And Alex (laughs) and I say they might. And then what's going to happen after they barf? They're going to learn a very valuable lesson that eating a whole plate of cookies doesn't feel good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and a way more valuable lesson than, you know, Whitney and I standing over our kids being like, don't eat too many. And, and the other thing is too, we're, we're also trying to teach them how to self-regulate. That's a really big thing. You know, we're, we're born with these innate abilities to understand hunger and fullness. And so much of how we sort of go through life, especially with all of the, the numerous sort of like, you know, diet culture and, and messages that, that especially our young kids are so privy to, it really messes up with understanding what does hunger feel feel like and what does fullness feel like? And so if we allow them these opportunities to, to have too many cookies or to enjoy the sweets someplace, it, it, it really teaches them those, those lessons that are so much more powerful than just our words as parents. Yeah. Here's a perfect example. This is the way most people do it. You need to watch how much you eat or else you'll gain excessive weight. Whereas you guys recommend we listen to our tummy and stop eating when it feels full. That's so awesome. Yeah. You know, you also have to remember, tell me when you were a child, if your parents told you not to do something, whether or not to eat something, whether it be avoiding a food or a behavior or a friend, what did you do? You wanted that thing all the more, right? Normally it made you very curious and you like, I need to examine this a little bit closer. (laughs) This this thing sounds like highly desirable. (laughs) Um. You guys, I am so excited for you. Um, the plant-based baby and toddler coming out like next week. Um, absolutely huge. It's going to be an absolute <laughs> blockbuster. I know it. And any mothers, any fathers that uh, have children that are young or expecting children that are young that know parents that are having babies, grandparents, you'll you'll want to get this book. It truly is the 
definitive guidebook. And you can rest assured that your, your baby and toddler is getting everything they need. Um, and what a gift, what a gift to give to your, to your baby and your toddler that will last a lifetime. So you guys, thank you. Thank what you. Thank there, you, Rep. Oh yeah. Any, any departing words that you want to say about um, where we can find you guys, Instagram handles, plant-based juniors community, anything like that? Yeah, we're plant-based juniors on all social platforms. Our website is plantbasedjuniors.com. You can get the book at plantbasedbabyandtoddler.com and at all major uh, book retailers. And we have a very active community over on Instagram primarily, as well as on our email list where we send out lots of freebies every day. Well, every every couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am... I'm so proud of what you guys have done. What do your parents think of what you guys are doing? They're, I mean, they're excited. I, I think about, you know, the the way I was raised. My my parents are both European, so we had a very sort of, you know, different childhood when it came to food. And and I love the fact that they're both so into. They're not they're not fully plant based, but they love the idea of eating more plants and just seeing the way that you know we raise our kids. It's like, oh wow, I wish I knew this, you know, when when I was when I was raising you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're really excited. My dad had a, a heart attack two years ago and a quadruple bypass. And that's when he started listening to me for once about uh, my so-called rantings and ravings about the <laughs> benefits of a plant-based diet. He, he's finally started adopting things. So again, he's not, he's not plant-based, but he is opening up his heart to tofu and <laughs> incorporating more plant-based options in his diet. So well, I recommend that we send him a copy of prevent reverse heart disease. Yes. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I, I, that I know very well. I would say, you know, a guy, yeah. Can you, can you hook it up for me? <laughs> we can make it happen for sure. We got the spectrum. We got it from babies and toddlers all the way. All to, the way up. Yeah. We are covered. <laughs> all right. Uh, Alexandra, Whitney, you guys are, have been fabulous. Thank you for what you're bringing to the world. Let's do our little sign off. So follow after me, please. Peace. Peace. Turn it around. Engine two. Engine two. <laughs> Keep it plan strong. Keep it plan strong. Thank you so much. Thank Rip. you, Rip. It was fun. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. The Plant Based Juniors and everyone at Plant Strong want to empower you to make the best nutrition decisions for your family. So thank you, Whitney and Alice, for your tireless efforts, vast resources, and gorgeous recipes. Your information is so vital, and I'm convinced that the more plant-strong babies and toddlers we foster, the brighter future we will all have. One full of health and compassion. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Thanks for listening, and for all of the resources on this episode, visit the episode page at plantstrongpodcast.com. We'll see you next week for a special party. You don't want to miss it. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Plan Strong Podcast. You can support the show by taking a quick minute to follow us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Leaving us a positive review and sharing the show with your network is another great way to help us reach as many people as possible with the exciting news about plants. Thank you in advance for your support. It means everything. Have you had your own Galileo moment that you'd like to share? What happened when you stepped into the arena and shed the beliefs that you thought 
to be true. I'd love to hear about it. Visit PlantStrongPodcast.com to submit your story and to learn more about today's guests and sponsors. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Carrie Barrett, Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, and Wade Clark. This season is dedicated to all of those courageous truth seekers who weren't afraid to look through the lens with clear vision and hold firm to a higher truth. Most notably, my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Anne Cryle Esselstyn. Thanks for listening.